You're joining Molly and Jody as we talk with folks about creativity in Plains Country. What it is and why it matters that we're here doing it. And this is Place Well Tended. Place Well Tended dives deep this week into stories and language shaped by landscape, along with exploring wildness, beauty, and imagination with Dr. Don Wink. Don gives us a glimpse at the value and beauty of language as we discuss concepts from her recent dissertation. She also weaves together threads of running on the land, the magic of the writing process, and human connection from the greater collective humanity all the way to the intimacy of family stories. Language rooted in land, in place, is a thread of connection, a tender, valuable way of tending to a place and being shaped by that place. See how that is beautifully true through our conversation with Dr. Dawn Week. Well, Dawn, welcome to Place Well Tended. And it appears as as we look at your recently finished PhD that this is the podcast made for Don Wink. <laughs> it is made for Dr. Wink. <laughs> um, so from the opening words on your on your blog post right now, you write, what felt like an impossible dream for so many years came true on October 6th. 2021. I successfully defended my dissertation, stories at the intersection of language and linguistic literatures through wildness, beauty, and imagination, a scholarly personal narrative. Tell us, tell us what that means. That was, well, thank you so much, Jody and Molly, for inviting me, for sharing this time. Um, I am delighted to be here. And your whole focus, as you read the focus of this podcast and what you both have created, like I, I found myself, like when you just, you know, that energetic, that energy when it, when it's in, when it moves through you, when you read that, um, so thank you so much. Yeah, it really did feel like um, an impossible dream for multiple uh, reasons. And as as you both live, uh, it's interesting because I live a, I, I live a life with diff- that composed of of different worlds, as I think so many of us do. And one of those worlds is is very academic with my background in multilingual education and linguistic human rights. And then I'm also a creative writer with fiction and nonfiction, very place-based, land-based, uh, and, um, and do a lot of writing. And then, you know, coming from a, a ranching background with regenerative agriculture and all of those roots. And so... But I always felt like I had to, I was a separate, I often felt like I was a separate person in each of these worlds that I lived in. And there was a little bit of overlap, you know, in my creative writing, for sure, in my ranching with Meadowlark and those worlds coming together. Um, but with my writing with the kind of my academic world and my creative writing world, uh, it always it always felt very separate. Like I was either in my creative writing world uh, or academic. And when I decided to go for my PhD, I knew I didn't want to separate those. Um, I, I just knew that I'm not, I'm just at a place in my life where I don't, uh, I, I don't live separately. I, I, I try to bring my whole being to each of the contexts that I'm in. And what I didn't know if it, if that was possible, 
that. And so I found um, through several years, I found a, a, a doctoral program that, that focused, it's based in transdisciplinarity, which is, uh, you know, across disciplines. And I knew that I want that I, that what I had hoped to do is Ecolinguistics, which is very much within the academic world, which is the relationship between the language and, and the land, and language as an integral element of land. And as we're losing languages, and at the rate we're going, 90% of the world's languages will be extinct within the next 100 years. And you think about all of the wisdom that uh, contained within. And it seems like that, like within my academic world, we all know that, and there's loads of writing going on. And as I read within landscape literature, a lot of the ideas about sustainability and a lot of the ideas about love of the land are very focused in the physical. They're very focused in the geographical. And what I hoped to do, what I hope to do, is to integrate language as element of landscape within the broader genres of of. Uh, of landscape literature, like i.e., you know, Terry Tempest Williams, Robin Wall Kimmerer, uh, so you know, Amy Irvine, so many of those writers we we know and love. And so, uh, what I'm working on now is what hopefully will become a book that um, on these ideas written for people who have no background whatsoever in academia, <laughs> and hopefully it will be. Um, <laughs> approachable and you know and will be poetic and exciting and all and all of those things to to broaden this conversation is my hope I love that so that kind of leads into my question my next question is is what's next what are the practical ways that you live out this dissertation mm -hmm. in a way that that does flow into the rest of the world that's not rooted in in mm -hmm. academia and I you know that whole idea of experiencing language and landscape through the lenses of wildness beauty and imagination I I I really believe that and I very intentionally um try to live that every day and as uh both of you know as we've come to know one another like I'm a runner and I just came back from a I gotta run fast. Um, those, are, these are the ideas that I think about when I run, and uh, you know, people have asked me, um, why should I care about language in light of climate change? And I think that's a really valid question. And um, why should I care about you know these ideas? In kind of thinking about okay, wildness, beauty, and imagination. Well, okay, well, what does that mean, Don? And for me, I very much uh, experience beauty through a holistic lens of wholeness. And so uh, rooted, you know, rooted very much in indigenous uh, knowings, uh, Lucy Tapahonzo, an incredible Diné writer, poet, um, woman, uh, you know, when she speaks of language, of beauty, it is this sense of wholeness. It is. And so I think oftentimes people may interpret beauty as aesthetic only. And while I do appreciate beautiful aesthetics in nature, I think of it as a sense of um, harmony 
and wholeness. And when, so when we're thinking about language and when we're thinking about the land, we're thinking about how uh, landscape infuses our creativity or our understandings. As, as we lose languages, as lands are destroyed, um, you know, that harmony is lost and that beauty is lost. And I, so what, what is next? Hopefully, um, through writing, through talks, through conversations, more awareness. We just broaden the conversation about these ideas about the vitality of languages and the wisdom um, that each language embodies that comes directly from the land where it was, you know, grew to be and was created. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means, that language comes from the land? Ooh, yeah. Well, I'm thinking about especially, you know, focusing on um, our heritage in the plains. Uh, one of the things that um, that I was very mindful about uh, with all of these ideas is getting out and walking uh, the plains or riding or, you know, whatever it is through every season, because I wanted to know what was happening on that particular day of the year. I wanted to smell it. I wanted to see it. And so much of, um, and of course, indigenous la uh, languages that came inherently from the landscape. It was a reflection mm -hmm. of the land and language plants, animals, all were integrated, all were living beings, all were living entities. Languages are living entities. And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking about particularly about the plains and the different language that we have there, very much based in, for example, weather. And very much, which is a primary character of the plains, of the Great Plains, that I think unless one experiences it, it's almost impossible to understand. And the different ways that we talk about wind and snow and moisture and rain and and imbued within that is the understanding of what that means for us or what that means for the ground and if the and what that means for the grasses and what that means for um, kind of the whole cycle that is not as easily understandable if, if one isn't rooted in that particular area, mm -hmm. you know, it'd be, and I'm really aware of that when I'm, um, uh, it's interesting, like the language of forests, of, of, of like real, like huge forests is, is not one that I'm terribly familiar with. And I'm always aware yeah. when I'm there that this is a language. I mean, I, I literally understand it, but I don't, I, I don't embody it because I haven't lived it. I've never lived in a big forest. And in fact, um, I feel very claustrophobic when I get around big trees, not, not like cottonwoods, but I mean like those huge forests. And it was interesting because, you know, you're kind of shamed when you're around people who love the forest when you admit that. But I really feel like I can't breathe. Like I can't <laughs> and one time I was talking with my cousin and our mutual dear friend, Missy Urbanic, about this. And I forget how it came up. He had just been back east. And she said, oh, she said, I feel the same way. 
she's and she was i think visiting yeah. a cousin or somebody and she said it was so interesting because whoever she was visiting said when they were out walking under the trees and missy was like trying to breathe so for those of us without trees we associate with the expanse the big sky mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. you know just the ability to see Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm thinking about how different places where I've traveled and noticing that feeling. So, for example, um, Jim and I took our honeymoon a long time ago um, to to Hawaii, and that strange feeling of being limited by an island, like, oh, this is a strange kind of feeling, or the feeling in a city. Yeah. And the names for plants and what those plants do and what they hold and the historical uh, wisdom throughout generations and centuries, thousands of years. Does part of your study um, or your interest involve what happens when you don't aren't surrounded by the natural landscape? So say you're in a city and that is your lived mm. experience. What happens then. This was, uh, that was not an intentional part of my study, but it was, it's been an inform. It's interesting. I lived in San Francisco for a year and that's when I discovered that I am a woman who needs the land and the horizon. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. This year I was in this incredible city that people love and come from all over the world. And I became, it's the first time I had lived any place where I, I, I it wasn't, I, I couldn't see the horizon. Mm-hmm. And that's where, where I discovered that it's, it's interesting because my particular passions are really around, um, uh, you know, the, the languages of the world that have really come from the historical languages of the world that have come from the land and, and what we would call uh, linguicide and the fact that those are now being lost and exterminated. And so I haven't focused uh, within the study on what happens in cities. I know from my real and lived experiences, I, I find I love to visit you know, cities. I love to yeah. visit cities around the world, but I love to visit them. I love yeah. to go and mm-hmm. be there and then get back to the landscape. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I found living in a city incredibly, incredibly suffocating. Uh, and I watched mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. thrive who, mm-hmm. you know, came from different backgrounds. So mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think, mm-hmm. it, you know, in and this would just be in informal conversations um, with other very land-based writers. I don't know anybody who lives in a big city. Sure. I think, you know, we, we are pretty mindful about um, being in places that nourish our spirits and mm-hmm. our creativity. Uh, I, yeah, I, I would be a very different writer in person if I lived in a I don't even, I don't, yeah, it's wild to think about. Would you, would you theorize that, that it is um, necessary to spirit, to a person's spirituality, to a person's connection to the spiritual world, to have some connection to land? (laughs) I, I can 
I can speak from my own experience and from the kind of the writers who I'm drawn to that mm-hmm. that connection is 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 visceral. It's fundamental. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think there's probably lots of different spiritual fonts for for others that yeah. perhaps aren't nourishing to me, but are mm-hmm. for others. Like I have a friend mm-hmm. who lives in New York City. And she loves New York City. Like, just can't even imagine living anywhere else. Absolutely finds that life uh, incredibly, you know, thrives on all that is there. And so um, absolutely for me, yes. I am very comfortable saying, and throughout my uh, many years of, and between, you know, I've kind of been reading about this and thinking about this and living this for about 25 years or more. So there's a lot of um, thought that has gone into this. And so I am, I am comfortable saying that as we globally are more and more distanced from a land-based life, that First of all, all of that wisdom that we're losing. And yes, I am very comfortable saying that sense of connection and nourishment. Um, oh gosh, and grounding in creativity that comes from a deeply rooted sense of place and belonging. Mm-hmm. We absolutely, I feel are losing that. And that is expressed in many different ways, including the Mm -hmm. loss of language. But I also really feel like Mm -hmm. this sense of a loss of belonging, um, Mm -hmm. that comes from being grounded in a landscape that feels, um, uh, like you belong in it and that you belong with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I, you know, it's interesting because while my parents and our family ranch is in South Dakota, I grew up on a ranch in Southeastern Arizona, uh, in the middle of nowhere, uh, with the Sonoran desert. Mm -hmm. And so I feel very blessed that there, there are, you know, that's also an environment that when I'm there, I, I, I feel like my spirit is at ease and I feel like I Mm -hmm. can, uh, I just feel like, like my spirit is at ease and both of those settings where I feel most connected are definitely when I'm out walking in the desert, when it's like, when I feel the sand crunching under my shoes or when I, and when I'm walking or riding on the prairies, um, that Mm -hmm. sense of, of nourishment and openness. Mm-hmm. 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 That is that is so woven into um, I think what Jody and I are trying to um, investigate and uncover in this podcast, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but said so much more clearly and with. Um, solid footing underneath it. Hmm. I Don't you feel, Jody? I do. I do. I'm thinking about how, as Dawn, as you were talking about 
you know, walking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the desert, mm-hmm. walking on the prairie, what that sounds like beneath your feet. Mm-hmm. And we visited with Sarah Dorn earlier mm-hmm. in our season, who and she talked about walking in the Black Hills and you get out and and there's the mica beneath your feet yeah. and mm-hmm. and how how it looks different, but yet and it sounds different. You know, it's interesting. I mean, you know, being two things, I hopefully I'll remember both of them. Um, being familiar mm-hmm. with both of your um, art and lives, you know, I can, mm-hmm. I mean, you both very much, I can see a reflection of your connection with the land expressed through your art and also expressed through the way you walk through the world. I mean, that, that Mm -hmm. sense of connection and creativity really comes through, Um, which is of course, incredibly, I don't, I mean, it's incredibly resonant for me. And I also Mm -hmm. believe that there's something that that uh, energetic, that land based energetic, resonance and creativity i do believe that's something that people feel even if they can't articulate there's something there it's like mm-hmm. i feel connected to that even if that person may not understand why they just know oh, I'm con- I, that there's that sense of connection and i think that as mm-hmm. as artists and writers what we do is we work with that very intentionally um that that, mm-hmm. that is, you know, uh, that's a, that's a deliberate way that we walk through the world. Um, but I was mm-hmm. thinking also about that that uh, uh, sense of connection with nature and uh, distance or connectivity or spirituality. Robin Wall Kimmerer, and in, in she wrote the incredible uh, braiding sweetgrass. Um, she talks about. Uh, with the loss of indigenous languages, suddenly, it wasn't sudden, but how uh, pronouns that were embodied uh, with a gender suddenly became it. And when one speaks under Mm -hmm. other languages, like we know, you know, in in Spanish and Mm -hmm. in many, many other languages, uh, nouns are, are, are gendered. Um, and, and the pronouns reflect mm-hmm. that, but in English, it's it. And so what she mm-hmm. is posits and, and, and asks us to, invites one to think about is, she said, what if instead of saying it, and the word that she chooses is ki, K-I, um, from her own indigenous uh, heritage background, but it's, uh, it's gendered. And so when talking mm-hmm. about trees, suddenly... Instead of like uh, talking about it's that somehow allows a distance, it's as if it was a group of women. And that what a different sense of connection that immediately creates. And so um, I, I think it's a fascinating idea and I wanted it ties in so beautifully with with what mm-hmm. we're talking about here. So, yeah, and I would love to know both of your experiences with the land and your work and your creativity and that sense of uh, connection. I think you said something earlier and I'm not going to recall it exactly, um, but you referenced sort of a a feeling that maybe artists and writers 
have with the land and maybe don't recognize it, but there's almost like an energy, a feeling, right? So I'm thinking about like when I go out for a run, a lot of times I'll just head out from the house and and run up the road. And that's fine. Um, some days you just, you take what you can get, but there yes. are days when I want to be out on the land and I'll run out to Spirit Mound or on some of the gravel mm-hmm. roads and there is something, then the run somehow becomes more than a physical exercise. It becomes a connection yes. and a refreshment that it isn't in other ways. Mm-hmm. And I've never thought about, until you said that, I've mm-hmm. never thought about what almost feels like an energy that is trying to become apparent in me, mm-hmm. but is not easily identifiable. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I think that feeling or that sense, um, I'm very mindful and intentional about, about being open then. Like I don't try to, mm-hmm. I, I never, well, I don't know. I, I try not to force, you know, like, oh, I'm going to experience mm-hmm. this or I'm going to think about this or, but I'm very aware of putting myself in situations and like running is classic where I'm very open to whatever may come. And, and I pay attention to that. And that's so much of my writing and my ideas come from it. When you run, do you listen to music or podcasts or do you clear? I, um, I, I never listen to music. I have been running for, it's gotta be close to 35 years and I've never listened to anything. Now, many times for, there were a couple of decades where I always had a baby stroller yeah. <laughs> or kids, you know, so it was like throwing the goldfish down, you know, trying like the, you know, um, yes. Yeah. And I yeah, always feel I like, like that is its own exercise, right? <laughs> Trying yeah, to exercise with that. children. Like-, like you say, you take what you can get. And it was like, you know, um, it's interesting because just within the last year, I would say, and especially toward the final kind of throes of my dissertation, I was just so immersed in ideas that I did start to listen to podcasts because there just weren't enough hours in the day for me to listen and read everything that I wanted to. Um, And I did start to listen to podcasts and I always, um, well, actually I just would take notes on my phone. Like I would take quotes, I would take, you know, things that I wanted to weave into my writing and, or I would run with, uh, like Annie Lamont says, I would have like a, you know, a pen and a, and a, and a little notebook. I, all my running clothes have pockets. <laughs> pockets. <for that> <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, um, I love this so much. So, yeah. So, so I just, and it's been interesting cause I've always really held that time sacred and for many years after self, even after having a cell phone, I refused to take a cell phone because I wanted to be completely inaccessible. But then one time I was like seven miles out in the middle of the desert and I completely wiped out. Like I tripped and I landed hard and I was fine. But I thought if I would have broke my ankle, my family has no idea where I am right now. Like nice. I have this little tiny trail yeah. in the middle of... So then I started taking my phone and I have to say, so I did start to listen to podcasts and there's such, there's such incredible stuff out there. And I would find it would, the poetry of the language would kind of like grease the wheels. Cause I'd come back and I'd start writing. 
And what I've done most recently that I love is because I've always loved um, audible books and my kids were raised on them and we listened to them. But all of my books that I listen to now are um, in Spanish. And so uh, I also use that time to just kind of immerse myself. I just sing because I speak Spanish. And so I just sink into um, the language and I've, you know, Isabel Allende, the, the amazing Chilean writer, um, Carlos Ruiz Zafón. And so, but it's all, it's, it's another way that I'm intentionally immersing myself um, in the beauty of language. And so, uh, so it's interesting because I just started doing that much to my amazement and surprise. And I really, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm completely mm-hmm. relating as you're as you're talking in a, in a little my Jody Shaw tweaked way is mm-hmm. that you've got your you know your pockets for writing and I come back and my my pants are like I'm having to hold them up because I'm <laughs> like Stones. they're full of stones too much and, and little you know little little tiny pieces of weathered yes. wood and and you know all these, yeah. these things when i walk on the gravel road or if i intentionally walk the fence line of the hayfield or if i walk the dry creek bed there's mm-hmm. a definitely a different kind of connection mm-hmm. and it completely circles into into my creativity mm-hmm. and also my spirituality Mm-hmm. And it is like creation speaking to me. Mm-hmm. And in in my um in my way, um that's a connection with the divine. And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um and so that's mm-hmm. a way that it renews and restores my spirit. Mm-hmm. And um and I so to me, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of um, rootedness in my faith that comes through that creation too. And so spending Absolutely. that time in the, mm-hmm. in the land mm-hmm. and the landscape, mm-hmm. um, I think is, is just, is a way that the divine speaks to, mm-hmm. to our spirit um, mm-hmm. in a restorative kind of way. It's, it's interesting because when you said restorative, um, you know, one thing I'm so mindful about with with, with my work, um, is, you know, um, especially as one of my hopes is to really highlight indigenous languages and the fact that indigenous languages are being Mm -hmm. lost and, um, Mm -hmm. and cultural appropriation and to always name that, uh, and with the hope that this work is, it's the idea of restoration that idea of restorative Mm -hmm. and you know and talking about Mm -hmm. land-based uh one of the one of my oh god my most wonderful discoveries through my studies in the dissertation was the discovery of liliology which i had never heard of before um but i knew there's uh uh when i think of lilies there's another uh incredible uh scholar and writer, Tove Skutnikongas, and she's Finnish, and she describes uh, mother tongue languages are like water lilies. And so there's a single um, 
I've got images, but there's a single flower that floats on top of the water and it takes a deep mm-hmm. root and it's down in the mud where it's rooted. And, but then all of the other mm-hmm. flowers that come that we, that show prettily on the surface, but they're all rooted in that single root. Mm-hmm. And that single root is whatever mm-hmm. one's mother language is. So if you cut off mm-hmm. that mother language, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden there's mm-hmm. no nourishment, not only going to that language, but to any of the other languages that will ever be learned. And so this is whenever I think about water lilies, I think about this. So when my dissertation chair said, Dawn, I got this book for you. It's about lilyology. Neither one of us had any clue what it was about. She's like, I have no idea what it is, but I thought lilyology, Dawn Wink. I was like, <laughs> me too. Let's find out what it is now. And, so, and it was, uh, it's the, uh, uh, work of Dr. Narita Blair, uh, a scholar, an indigenous scholar in um, Australia. And she, talk about land-based and creativity. She, everything, her whole paradigm that she experiences the world is through nature and is through the land. And she talks about, in like a lily, the, the lily, each one of the petals represents a different story. And how historically only a few stories have been valued and the other stories were not. (laughs) And so in her experience and what she references, indigenous stories have not been valued. Often women's stories have not been valued. And so the idea is the beauty of story and the beauty of our experience is the difference in all these different petals. Mm -hmm. And the embracing mm-hmm. of all these different petals uh, and the nourishment that comes from, and again, very lamb-based, she's in Australia, the, what she calls the bush potato, it's a sweet potato. And that's where the spirit knowings are and that that is where we gain our nourishment. And so I'm thinking about, and that was such a, it was like it, it, that same experience of, oh, she's putting words in, like my tummy knew these and I lived this, but I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't have words for it. And I tried to stay pretty quiet about it in academic settings. Cause I was like, yeah, that's not going to be, you know, well received. <laughs> and yeah. And so, um, but I'm trying to think as far as the prairie, like, you know, what, how that would, that idea of all stories being expressed on the prairie or, and you know, when we're all talking about gaining nourishment from the land. Um, and that's just a few of the elements from, from the leology. But as you're both talking, I'm thinking, I, I'm literally visualizing the unfurling of, of, of petals of different textures around this gorgeous lily sitting on the water. And so I think with, between all this, I want to think about what the equivalent would be on the prairie. And I'm, I'm, it's not coming to me right now. I know between the three of us, I don't know. It might be something to think about. One that comes to my mind is the yucca plant Mm. because Mm -hmm. they are so deep, deep rooted rooted. in Mm -hmm. the, um, in the at in the Badlands mm-hmm. at the uh, the visitor center, there's they have this display and they have so it's like you're standing below ground and 
way up over your head are these plants. And then it shows how far Mm. those roots go Mm -hmm. down into, Mm -hmm. you know, into the ground Mm -hmm. and why these Mm -hmm. plants thrive in this location that is sometimes, sometimes there's, there's, great moisture and then other times there is is not right, and we're living right. through that right now right, and yeah. yet there are certain certain things that survive gorgeous that's interesting because mm-hmm. i in, immediately contrast it with um growing up in the hills um the ponderosa mm-hmm. pine has such shallow uh-huh. roots such interesting shallow roots. Yeah. And although mm-hmm. it's necessary to survive because yeah. we have ponderosas here and you need, when that moisture comes, of course, you want to grab it as soon as it, yeah. it right away. Yeah. As soon yeah. as it lands. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I just find, and perhaps this is why I've spent so many years, but I mean, I find these ideas fascinating and you, and, and, and then thinking about, okay, what does this mean for, like we're talking like creativity. What does this mean mm-hmm. for language? What mm-hmm. does this mean for, but, but it all comes back to that interweaving of, mm-hmm. of both and not the separation mm-hmm. of it as I think often, mm-hmm. you know. I was mm-hmm. thinking around this idea of, okay, how do we, um, how do we take advantage of having um, an expert in the field and asking her, mm-hmm. you, why is it important and necessary to consider landscape and place and its impact on a person's creativity? And mm-hmm. what I'm hearing from you now is um, it isn't just place and creativity. And it also is not place and creativity, but those two together, along with language, mm-hmm. along with experience, is that accurate reflection of what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, and as, as again, you know, as you were talking and the multiplicity of story and the, you know, the dimension embracing of all stories. Um, Absolutely. And when we Mm -hmm. lose languages, that phenomenally rich texture of multiplicity is lost and we become ever more mono monolinguistic, but monochromatic mono, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. a a single Mm -hmm. way of thinking. Whereas the wisdom, the beauty, the wildness, the imagination, however it's expressed in whatever language it's expressed in coming from these different uh, lived experiences and background and places I mean, just provides mm-hmm. so much more richness and wisdom and to the world mm-hmm. and connection mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. connection. Because you think about mm-hmm. what language, you know, think about families and what languages we speak yeah. within families and what happens mm-hmm. when that language mm-hmm. is ripped away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So, Even, yes. So all of those mm-hmm. connections. Mm-hmm. Even those phrases that are that we keep as a family, yes. as we were talking yeah. about in right. the beginning of, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. of Luke's phrase or, mm-hmm. 
I've heard you say numerous times the mommy lady. Like, oh, yeah. The mommy that's lady. A, yeah. a phrase. <laughs> yes. That <laughs> is, is a unique mm-hmm. part of your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, you know, high, high morning is one mm-hmm. of ours. And yeah. um, a spoonful of peanut butter in our house is called big peanut butter. Oh. <laughs> that's big peanut butter. <laughs> But uh, yeah. it was only like a year ago because the mommy lady, it's been around for forever. The kids didn't know where they came from. And when Wyatt, my oldest, who's sure. now 26, he, when he was one and a half or two, when he was looking for me, he would say, where is the mommy lady? Where is the mommy lady? <laughs> and that's where that came from. But the kids were like, that's where that came from? I said, yeah, did you think I just made that? it's just woven into your family yeah Um, I think it's interesting I just use the phrase woven into I you have a Mm -hmm. um, blog post about quilting and I'm thinking about quilts as you're talking now um, and Mm -hmm. it almost feels in some ways that language is the stitching that binds the quilt together Yeah. yeah That's, yes, and I've actually written about mm-hmm. that. Yes, it is. You think about what, well, and it, the beauty, the beauty of a quilt is the contrasting is the unique beauty of each piece, much like mm-hmm. a mosaic. It's mm-hmm. the it's the mm-hmm. unique beauty of each piece creating the whole. And when mm-hmm. you think about language, and you think about when we lose language, all of a sudden there's a lot less beauty in the world. Mm-hmm. There's a lot mm-hmm. less, mm-hmm. but that's exactly, that's exactly. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about, um, Meadowlark. Are you on a time mm-hmm. constraint? <laughs> Cause this or, is not going no. well. It's going really well, okay. Okay. <laughs> but it's am going I, well I, over our time. Am I on? No, I'm good. I don't have any, okay? I didn't have anything on the other side. I'm good. Yes. Okay. 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 So you grew up in Southeast Arizona. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. You live in Santa Fe and yet you're mm-hmm. rooted to the plains of South Dakota mm-hmm. through your great grandma, Grace. Um, yes. Your parents currently live on the ranch near house. And mm-hmm. um, as we talked about, Jody and I kind of piecing together the things we wanted to talk mm-hmm. about with you, we said, okay, place well tended centers on creativity in plains country. Um mm-hmm. Leads us to curiosity about your novel, Meadowlark, um, which mm-hmm. is based on the life of your grandma, Grace. Um, I have a question about the thinning of the veil, but first, can you tell us a little bit mm. about the book and what inspired it? Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because I very much came to the plains. So the ranch has been our, in our family for four generations. So I grew up, and my mom was very much raised on the ranch. So I grew up hearing stories about my great-grandma Grace because my mom uh, spent uh, was raised on this ranch. Um, and I came really to the plains. I was probably 20, 23 or 24 when when my parents moved out there full time. But what was fascinating was I came to it and in a way it was new, but in a way it was a very familiar because it was ranching and ranching is, you know, I grew up on a ranch, so ranching mm-hmm. is home. So I brought all of those, you know, groundings with me and all of these stories from my great grandmother. So when I 
experience the Great Plains, it was with a voracious sense of curiosity. Um, I don't know any other way to describe it. Um, I wanted to learn everything. Everything was, was, was both new and familiar in a way that I think when I, then I started to write served me really well. I read, and my mom too, like we, you know, we discovered Linda Hazelstrom, we discovered Dan O'Brien, we discovered like, and we started to read like just voraciously, um, everything we could about the prairie. And, um, and then where did the book come from? It, it was literally, uh, one time and you know and I've got three kids and they were all born within three and a half years and so it was a real yeah it was, yeah that's intense yeah. yes very <laughs> intense so there were anyway so what I remember is mom and I were over this mountain of teeny tiny little socks and clothes and you know <laughs> and we were folding and folding and folding and folding and why do you really fold baby's clothes as I'm thinking about it it's like irrelevant I, but anyway absolutely um, and there had been a character, uh, well, there's a character in the novel, but uh, he was a real person uh, uh, on the ranch when my mom was growing up that my mom my mom just loved, loved. And his name in real life was Paul Overracker. And my great grandma was Grace. And my Grace's husband died fairly young. And so, and Paul was the foreman. And so he and Grace, and then my mom and my uncle Jim were on the ranch uh, for many years. And I guess I was finally old enough. And I asked my mom, I said, mom, what about grandma Grace and Paul? Cause all of a sudden I'm an adult. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait. And mom says, and she said, she kind of smiled and she said, you know, I don't know, but I've always wondered. And that really, and I don't, and for in that moment, and I and I was so into learning everything I get about the planes, and I had all these stories that I'd, so many stories I'd heard about my grandma Grace growing up. I kind of thought, you know, I think I'll write a book about that. Which, it, I, I had no business thinking. I mean, I had three little kids, <laughs> but it really kind of started then, and so I just started reading even more. I mean, I went to every teeny tiny bookstore in the state of South Dakota, every like, mm. you know, the little museums that are like the post yep. office, you know, like I looked up yep. and I, and, and I just spent a, a number of years, um, just studying life for women during that time period and talking with my mom and anybody, you know, who, Good about about Grandma Grace, and it was interesting because then Mom did tell me later. She said that another Dan Newsom, who has since passed, but he was an age mate of Grandma Grace and Paul, and so apparently Mom ran into him in a house store one time, and at she said Grandma, and she said uh, she said Dan, what about Grandma and Paul? And Dan kind of smiled and he said, "We weren't as old as you thought we were." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's all I know. And then, but, and then I wove, I just became completely obsessed with, with writing this novel. And I was just terrified. I would like get hit by a bus and die before I had a chance to finish, finish it. it. <laughs> oh. yeah. So that's, that's really how it came about. But I had my whole life growing up hearing stories about grandma Grace. Mm -hmm. So can I, um, do you mind if I read just a bit out of your, um, 
blog post, oh, one of your no. blog posts about it. No, um, it. And then yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear you talk about it. Okay. Um, okay. So you say, I wrote earlier how my novel Metal Lark began with a question that's lingered in our family for mm-hmm. decades, a question that I wrote a book to answer. In the midst of writing Metal Lark, the story of my own life interrupted and the books about the prairie <clears throat> and notebooks remain shoved under shell, onto shelves and closed for the next number of years until one day Grace whispered from the past to begin to write her story again. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that writing her story would save me. Mm-hmm. Um, you say the soft crackle of the pages releasing each other loosened something deep within me. Grace's story became the bedrock island of my quicksand world. The more I delved into her life and experiences, the more the veil between our worlds thinned until I learned to trust the unknown. You use that phrase, the veil between our our worlds thinned. And um, that's a fascinating idea. Can you talk about what that experience um, was like and what, what is the thin veil? How did, how did you experience that? Ooh, yeah, that was, wow. You went right to the heart of that was like, whoa. Oh, I saw that and I was like, we got to, we got to talk about this. I was like, whoa. Did I write that in public? Yeah. (laughs) 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 Well, I should Um, say, if you're comfortable answering. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that was, yeah, because that was the heart of, of Metal Ark. So, so I started writing Metal Ark. Um, and then my life, uh, my life just, was just completely like 100% fell apart. And that's, um, uh, so I went through, uh, an incredibly painful, uh, divorce and custody situation. And so that's when they were shoved underneath. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting, um, and what I, 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 I ended up turning to. So, and when I was away from my kids, I spent a couple of years, like just in the fetal position in my closet, like just basically, I just, when I, when we were apart from each other, we had never been apart from each other. And I, I didn't think mm. I could bear it. And then a mm. dear friend of a, who had been through something similar. She said, uh, she said, use that time to create a good life for you and the kids. And it, and, and it landed and it's my dear friend, Lynn Skimmel. And so what I was very intentional about was when they would leave, I would give myself one night to just completely fall apart. Mm-hmm. And I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, okay. and then the next day, I was going to get up and I was going to create a good life for us. And part of what came to me was I'm going to write this book in the hopes of creating a good life for the, for the kids and I. And so I brought out all my, uh, everything, you know, was, was dusty and, and I was Mm -hmm. real. Um, I was very intentional then about, um, okay, now I'm going to create a good life. And one of the ways I'm going to do this is by writing this book. Cause I think this will create opportunities for the kids and I later. And what I, the veil so thinned, um, the similarity of so many of our experiences, as I learned more about grace and as my life just unfolded, um, 
I don't know how I would have, I don't know how, if I would have, uh, what I would do is as things, as the veil thinned and similarities between our lives came to be, I would, I would, instead of just sitting in it, I would think, how can I convey this experience in this time period through grace or through Daisy or through May? And by doing that, I was able to gain the distance. It's like that I needed Hmm. in order to, uh, in order to live, in order to function, in order to survive, because then I would take off. It wasn't, it was me experiencing things, but then it was me putting on my writer's hat thinking and getting just enough distance to think, okay, how can I best convey this? And it gave me the distance that I needed in order to move on. Um, But there were so, it was, you know, I mean, I lived, uh, I just, um, I would, she, she would, I would just, things would come out of nowhere, supposedly out of nowhere. And Mm -hmm. I would just listen. Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. I very much feel there was some kind of a connection. Um, and then, and an expression of both of our lives because of that thin veil. And, one of the things, and perhaps it's one of the things about Metal Arc that, again, when I talk about when it resonates, because, you know, when you write, you're just, I just, I, I was just trying to, I was just trying to survive. And, survive. I, you know, yeah. you write, it's such a lonely, alone, and you write, and you have no idea what's going to happen to it, or if it's ever going to be anything, and mm-hmm. nothing. It, and And it was just, and I was terrified about I was terrified about letting it go into the world and because it was based on our family and everything, but I was determined. And I just, that's where I learned to trust. It's like, I just thought you don't, 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 you don't hold any of that right now. All you hold is listening and doing the best you can to convey whatever you feel comes, whatever I felt came through and wanted to be expressed. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about the thinning of the veil, you're not mm-hmm. just talking about a um, a part of f- fictional writing where you feel no. close to characters. You're talking mm-hmm. about really feeling the presence of grace. Yes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And is that surpri- was that surprising to you? I mean, I, I suspect... You knew it without a doubt. You right? know, I think it felt so natural. It didn't surprise me. I don't know. Mm. I think I was so, um, immersed in such, uh, incredibly deep feelings of the covered such a vast spectrum that it actually, it felt welcoming as I think back on it I'm like how did that feel um there was this it was I feel I felt it felt welcoming whatever that means Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and so yeah Mm -hmm. and do you do you think Mm -hmm. that we have access to that all the time I mean does that is that something that we do to that setting or, I think yeah. the reason that I experienced it at that time is be, is because my 
my whole world had exploded. I don't know if I would have been Mm -hmm. as open to that or as aware if like every, Mm -hmm. um, every layer of protection that I had was gone. I mean, it was just Uh, like, I was so raw and yeah, I don't know if I'd been in a better place in my life. If I would have been, you know, we have as open to that, mm-hmm. that which is interesting. But then since I, 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 mm-hmm. I experienced it, um, now when I write, I, I'm pretty intentional about, I mean, I try to sink down into that open place mm-hmm. and connect with whatever it is I'm writing about. And the same with nonfiction, whether I'm writing fiction mm-hmm. or nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's, 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 a it's a feeling. It's just this sense of of connection and trust. Because mm-hmm. I, because I always mm-hmm. figure I'm going to trust mm-hmm. whatever comes now. And then, if in the editing mm-hmm. process, you know, Dorothea Brandy talks about the duplicity of writing. The first is wild and creative and juicy, and you just and intuitive, and you let it go. And then after later, you put your editing hat on. But if you start with your editing yeah. hat, you're not, you're going to come up with mush, you know? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I really got yeah. to live and experience that. And I really trust that now. So I, mm-hmm. I try yeah. to, and I can tell when I'm not connected, um, my writing feels very flat. Mm-hmm. It feels very mm-hmm. dull, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you do when it feels that way? Mm-hmm. When you know that you're not actually connected? Um, go for a run. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've also kind of learned to trust the ebb and flow. And then, and then there's times mm-hmm. like things need to get written, like there's deadlines yeah. and I don't have time. Right. I don't have time. Right. And, and so mm-hmm. I have also learned that if I, even if I'm not, if I don't feel that sense of connection, but I got a deadline I need to meet, I, I write and I get it and I get it. I at least mm-hmm. get it out on the page. Mm-hmm. And then I hope Mm-hmm. And when I come back the next go round, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and it almost always happens, mm-hmm. I'll be able to tap into something. Something. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be able yeah. to tap into it. Yeah. And then I'll know, and then I'll know, okay, this, these are the three words that here it is right here. I may have, mm-hmm. you know, pages, mm-hmm. but this is what mm-hmm. I want to write about. And then that's what I need. And then I'll go. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. So it's yeah. interesting because I, I, um, I'm such an intuitive like I just so intuitive, energetic writer, and I'm sure there are other writers, mm-hmm. very analytical, linear writers that would say, I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. what, mm-hmm. But it's interesting. That's, that's, but that's very much my experience. I, I find mm-hmm. that just tremendously, um, comforting because it, mm. speaking from the art perspective, I find that it is so common for p- folks to say, focus on this, not on this. You have to build up these things. Your, pro- your process may look different, but these are the blocks you have to have. Mm-hmm. And it's so, mm-hmm. um, it's so easy to feel like, yep, I need to live in that, in that space. And I think the reality is you absolutely have to find your own way and it may yes. look similar to other people's, but that doesn't matter. And that's to me, tremendously difficult and challenging to hold on to. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I'm going to show you something real fast. Okay. 
that. I will do my best to describe for our listeners, but this is literally my writing process. This is how my dissertation started. I had all these ideas that I knew I wanted to write about. I had no idea how they were all going to connect. Not a clue. I mean, I just knew I love this. I love, okay, I want to convey this. I knew what my goal was. So then, but like writing linearly, writing, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. So I yeah. went, I needed a big piece of paper, but I didn't have a big enough piece of paper in the house, but it was around <laughs> Christmas time and I was wrapping presents. So I grabbed some wrapping paper and I ripped it off and I sat down and I just started writing ideas. Oh my and word. For you mm-hmm. listeners, it's, it's, uh, ideas written, scribbled all over the back of a big piece of Christmas wrapping paper. And then mm-hmm. I started with circles around and then, and I didn't care about the order. I didn't care. It was just, I knew mm-hmm. intuitively. And then by doing this, and then I would start, then I started making connections and then I started drawing mm-hmm. arrows and then I started drawing circles. And then, and this is how my dissertation started. Um, mm-hmm. Because this is what works for me. And I learned that through mm-hmm. writing metal arc. This was how pretty mm-hmm. much most chapters started in metal arc. This is like when I would get mm-hmm. stuck uh, with the whole of metal arc, when I would just get stuck, I would say, okay, get out of your own way, Dawn, and just sit down mm-hmm. and, you know, circles, just write what comes. And then I would, and then I would get unstuck. And so, um, and, and so I think it's whatever, I think it's each of us in whatever ever kind of artistic expression we have, mm-hmm. learning what, learning what works for us and then really trusting mm-hmm. that, that, and, mm-hmm. and sinking into mm-hmm. that. And that I've mm-hmm. learned is what that works. Then I can move into the linear. Then I can move into the narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I start with the ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and I learned of it clustering um by writing the natural way mm-hmm. by gabrielle rico uh, and chapter mm-hmm. one you can read the whole book or you but mm-hmm. i chapter one and it transformed my life because i was like i didn't mm-hmm. i i didn't it, it, always before it was supposed to be linear you know and and and, and mm-hmm. i learned mm-hmm. this it just it transformed mm-hmm. my life mm-hmm. yeah yeah you're trying to put it all in order mm-hmm. before you know what bring all the more, ingredients bring are. Bring all the good stuff before you. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. It has just been a true delight to have you on, Don. We like mm-hmm. to end um, our conversations with one question: What is it that you think that you are here to do? To create beauty in the world. I, mm-hmm. I, I've given that a lot of thought. And Mm. I really feel Mm. that, uh, whether that beauty is, um, through parenting, uh, whether Mm -hmm. it is through writing, whether it is through teaching, Mm -hmm. whether it is through, um, friendship through, but I, now I don't know that I always am successful, (laughs) but I do know, uh, and for for many years that I it, I do intentionally think how can I create beauty in the world today, in whatever mm-hmm. way that is going to uh, express itself, um, and again beauty in 
a sense in, in an understanding of, of wholeness, of harmony, of connection. Um, mm-hmm. And so how that looks when I'm teaching or presenting um, differs than how it may look uh, in other ways. But I, I, I do, that's, that's why I feel mm-hmm. I'm here and in whatever mm-hmm. ways um, it unfolds for that to be ex- expressed in the moment or during the time or in that particular book or in that particular essay or uh, mm-hmm. with a particular friend or being a daughter or. Uh, That's terrific. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would, would assure you, Dawn, that it is evident. <laughs> all that flows from you, it is evident. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's what I think, because also the choice of verb, like to create beauty, I've given it a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. It's not to find beauty. It's not to discover beauty. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's to, it's an active verb to yeah. create. And so, yeah, well, it has been beyond a delight to connect. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Place Well Tended. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate feedback, so we'd love for you to send us a note, rate, or review us, pop us some ideas for future guests. The links for reaching us are in our show notes. We believe in creative work for the love of a place. Here's to doing our part to keep this place well-tended.